Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 260 today. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic episode. We have our our good buddy, Dr. Rick Strassman, back on the show for the third time. Uh, and if you're interested after this episode, go check out the links for our first two episodes we did with him. As well as, he was just on Rogan recently. I thought that was a great interview as well, so go check that out. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, before we get started, uh, Rick has a new book out called The Psychedelic Handbook. I have the link down below at the bottom as well as the link to all of his books. Uh, the Spirit Molecule, The Soul of Prophecy, uh, you know, uh, Joseph, Levy, or, uh, yeah, Joseph Levy Escapes Death, all those wonderful books. Please go check those out. And if you don't know who Rick is, Rick is currently an American Clinical Adjunct Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. From 1990 to 1995, he led a U.S. government-approved uh, and funded clinical research team at the University of New Mexico studying the effects of NN-dimethyltryptamine, or DMT, on human subjects uh, in experimental conditions. Uh, he's also the president and co-founder of the Cottonwood Research Institute, and again, check out his books, uh, The Spirit Molecule, which is probably the one most people recognize, Inner Paths to Outer Space, DMT, The Soul of Prophecy, Joseph Levy Escapes Death, and of course, his new one, which we will talk about today, The Psychedelic Handbook. And um, yeah, again, go go follow him, go support him. I have all the links down below. And if you want to support our show, all you have to do is click the link tree link down below. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. We have a Patreon segment with Rick from last time. We're going to do one today. And uh, we've got a merch store. And the best way to support the show is honestly just go to Apple um, Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star re- review. We really appreciate that. Uh, but without further ado, welcome back on the show, Rick. How are you? Uh, thanks, Mike and Maurice. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Um, how about you guys? Great. Good, good. Glad to have you back on. Um I uh, just got finished with your new book. Um, 
it's it's really it's short but it's sweet and it's got a lot of great info in there um what what was your reasoning for writing this new one obviously you mainly focused on dmt in the past but this one's got a little bit of everything from psilocybin and lsd to um you know mdma and all that stuff well i was mostly interested in putting together a you know practical handbook uh to kind of introduce people to the field who may not know much about it. Um, I, I think of it as a, as a you know, textbook, you know, more or less, a small textbook. Um, you know, with the explosion of interest, both media, commercial, academic, you know, research, spiritual, in psychedelics, um, I feel a sense of responsibility, I suppose, with uh, you know, having opened up the field in the U.S. with my work in the 90s, and I want to, you know, try to keep it on track. Um, I think that you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, glorification of potential benefits and uh, minimizing of potential adverse effects um, with um, with all of the hype. Uh, uh, that's occurring in the space. Um, and uh, I wanted to present, you know, the, uh, you know, the facts as best I could um, from uh, I guess somebody with a lot of experience in the field. I'm, I mean, I started, uh, you know, developing an interest in, uh, you know, psychedelics in college. Uh, you know, went to medical school, psychiatry, uh, you know, clinical research fellowship and all of that, you know, the melatonin work, the pineal work, um, you know, the DMT and psilocybin work. And I've been current, um, even though we wrapped up the studies uh, 28 years ago, or I guess, you know, 27 years ago now. Um, you know, I've been uh, mentoring students, you know, keeping an eye on, on all of the academic research, uh, you know, giving lectures, uh, you know, refereeing, you know, manuscripts which are you know, submitted to you know, scientific journals for publication. You know, so um, I have a good you know, perspective on the field. I've you know, been doing it a long time. Uh, I've you know, sat for a lot of you know, psychedelic sessions. I've you know, taken a lot of psychedelic drugs. You know, done a lot of meditation, but you know, been through psychoanalysis. Uh, you know, so I think I have a good perspective on the field and. Uh, you know, figured it was a good time to, you know, kind of, um, you know, present a balanced perspective, uh, you know, neither as an advocate or as an opponent, but, you know, just, you know, the facts and... Yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. You know, my opinions, which I think are, you know, fairly well-reasoned. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing, too, is in your book, um, you're not just advocating, like you said, you actually present some of the risks with some of these compounds as well, which I think is needed because, I mean, you should have reverence for these compounds. I mean, you know, when I was younger and when Maurice was younger, we would just take these things. There wasn't a whole lot. You know, we're talking 20, 15, 20 years ago. There wasn't a lot of information other than Irwid, um, you know, t t in terms of dosage and plateaus and things like that. So um, I think this is needed because I don't see enough of that out there there's there's a lot of like you know nerding out on stuff you know which we do on the show and i love that too some of the more you know the science and the in-depth stuff but i think you need that basic 
platform to work off of. And I don't think enough people have that coming into that. I mean, the only person I can think of is maybe Michael Pollan's stuff. Um, but yeah, even that's kind of in depth too. So I, I really appreciate what you did with this book because we do need like sort of a basic guide or uh, breakdown of all this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, Pollan is an engaging writer, uh, you, you know, but he isn't a therapist. He isn't a clinician. He's not a researcher. He's not a scientist. Uh, you know, so his perspective, I think, um, even though is engaging, um, isn't quite, you know, based uh, on the real world. Yeah, I, I agree. I was actually kind of critical um, of some of the stuff he's left out of his book and even more recently his Netflix special. Um so yeah, I mean, while I appreciate that aspect of it, you're right, he's not any of those things. So um, w- let's let's go through each one of these things. Like in the past, I think, you know, the first episode we had you on, you kind of walked us through one of your main entity experiences that you had when you smoked DMT with Terrence McKenna in the 80s. Um, but, you know, is there anything in terms of like from you doing ayahuasca, something similar or an experience that you could share or some wisdom um, that you can impart? Uh, from my own drug experiences, you know, I don't do drugs that much anymore. I mean, I smoke pot, uh, but that's, you know, just to relax and to be creative. Pots. Uh, come on. We're not, we're not adding that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Edibles, edibles maybe, but. Yeah. Yeah, it depends so, on how often you do it. I haven't smoked in probably two two years now. If I smoked, I'd be launched into the stratosphere. Yeah, well, especially with uh, <laughs> kind of uh, you know, super, uh, you know, super uh, product uh, now, octane, yeah. Uh, mm. Your cannabis out there now. Um, well, I mean, the first you know time I ever smoked your uh, cannabis, I don't know if we talked about that. It was when I was eighteen, and I I'd been you know drunk once before. Uh, in my whole life. Uh, um, yeah, you know, so I was a college freshman. Our you know, senior resident advisor came by, knocked on my door, and you know, said, oh, um, I hear you haven't ever been stoned before. It's you know, my responsibility as your, um, as your student advisor, you know, to get you stoned. So um, he pulled out a you know, tin you know, foil you know, package of you know, blonde Lebanese hash, and uh, we smoked and smoked and smoked. And, uh, you know, it's it a completely psychedelic experience. There were purple clouds coming out of my speakers. Uh, the floor gave way under me, and I was flying over, you know, Claremont, California with my roommate who, you know, shared the experience with me. Uh, we were, you know, pointing out things together. Um, yeah, and I felt calm. I felt happy. Uh, and I... Well, I started, you know, college as a chemistry major and uh, I put, you know, two and two together and thought, you know, in a half hour or, you know, like a half hour ago, things were not this way and they are this way now and that's because of chemistry. You know, there you know, must be, you know, some chemistry you know, going on that is responsible or at least, you know, mediating uh, this incredible alteration in perspective. You know, so in a way, you know, that you know, kind of, uh, you know, gave me the bug, you know, that's you know, kind of how I began, uh, this, uh, you know, path of, you know, studying the biology of consciousness, you know, uh, you know, specifically from the, 
on a psychedelic platform. Yeah, the, you know, smoking or experiencing cannabis for the first time or one of the first times, very interesting Um, because you'll never achieve that level again, right? I mean, that's not a myth when people say that. I think it's because of it's something new. You know, it's like maybe this is a bad analogy, but, you know, it's kind of like your first day of high school or something. You're nervous. You don't know what to expect. And then you're like, whoa, you know, it just blows your mind. Um, Same thing with that. I think that you'll never achieve that because there's so much like hype and wonderment around it that I think when you actually experience it, it's that much more memorable as opposed to, let's say, smoking every day or whatever, or vaping or whatever. Yeah, it's completely novel. It's the first time you've been there. It's, I suppose, like going to India for the first time. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, like it's completely unexpected, completely, uh, you know, it's a whole different reality. It's magical in a sense. I remember because we go on this canoe trip every year and I remember I smoked probably a week before the canoe trip and I knew on the canoe trip there's going to be people with with cannabis there so I was all pumped up and ready to partake in some, some activities there but uh it, it just had a magical uh a magical sense to it and then I remember when we got to the canoe trip uh we couldn't get anything because everybody smoked it all and some <laughs> our cousin our one cousin rolled up a beaner and some papers and gave it to us and i mean we're kids you don't know what what, what what's yeah, going on yeah i mean on, i think so. we were what, 13 years old or something at the time i don't know about that but you know it's oh, i, I remember actually the first time i smoked i didn't know if i was high or not and it's 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 kind of what i've been telling people with mushrooms like i remember back in in high school days they're like oh i don't know if i tripped or not it's like you would know and that first time i smoked i wasn't really high i just thought i was then the second time I did it, then I was high and I, there was no question about it. So, uh, but yeah, you know, when you're doing stuff, I, I almost equate it to like listening to a song for the first time. When you, when you hear like music and stuff, there is a magical quality and you, you, you get high essentially off of it. But then after you listen to that song over and over and over again, it kind of loses its uh, charisma. So you kind of have to treat things in moderation, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's tolerance. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the tolerance, but I, I do think, again, I, I remember from like using like psychedelics in my past, I do remember the first time I've done each of those compounds for the first time more than the, you know, the following totally. time. So I, you know, I, I do think that there's something to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so you, you mentioned cannabis kind of getting you into there. It's amazing too. Like. If you would have told me 20 years ago or whatever when I was in high school that cannabis would be legal, like recreationally legal where I live, I would tell you you're crazy. But here we are. Um, you know, I know there's still debate on, on the, the national level, but we have a lot of states That's kind of ridiculous. Too, yeah, I mean, at that point. Go, yeah. Going going that way. Um, the something that grows from the earth, um, you know, and obviously there's arguments to be made about other compounds and things like that. But specifically cannabis and the history of the interactions with human beings and everything. It just doesn't make sense. Um, do you think that psychedelics uh, are kind of going to go the same way um, as cannabis, or do you think there's going to be more of like a sweeping national um, policy thing happening? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, y- you know, I think this, you know, decriminalization 
you know, legalization thing uh, is, you know, focusing, you know, mostly on psilocybin, uh, you know, but if it were, you know, focusing mostly inst instead on LSD, I think that the discussion would be, you know, different somehow. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that academic centers began uh, studying psilocybin instead of LSD after our work uh, began or was completed, actually. Um, you know, there was a study came out of Germany maybe a couple of months ago comparing the acute effects of psilocybin with LSD in the same people. And there was no difference at all. You know, the only difference was in the time course. Uh, you know, so if if the discussions for, you know, legalizing, you know, psilocybin, if you just you know, replace the word, you know, psilocybin with LSD, I think people would be a bit more cautious, uh, you know, a bit more you know, circumspect. Uh, with respect to the, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, kind of casualness uh, with which it, uh, the, this, uh, uh, you know, increased accessibility, you know, to psilocybin is being promoted. Um, you know, psychedelics, at least when you take an active dose, are, you know, psychedelic. They're, they're really mind-blowing. And, you know, cannabis, um when you use an active dose, it's not psychedelic. You can smoke a lot of strong cannabis extremely quickly and trip, you know, but, you know, but generally it's used recreationally. You're watching TV with your friends, you're you know, taking a walk in the woods, you know, but a, a, a you know, full dose of psilocybin or LSD, you should stay home uh, and be careful and have, and, you know, have somebody that you can call or, uh, uh, you know, who's looking out for you. <clears throat> set and setting. It's, you know, the set and setting and educating uh, yourself to optimize the, you know, the benefit and, you know, to minimize the adverse effects. You know, so I think it'll come down to scheduling when we're you know, talking about the national level. You know, will the DEA, you know, deschedule or, you know, reschedule, you know, psychedelics? And I don't, I don't think that's around the corner, even though FDA, you know, might, uh, you know, give the stamp of approval of using specific psychedelics, you know, for specific conditions. But, uh, you know, within, uh, um, within the medical model, you know, but uh, <clears throat> still it, you know, depends on the scheduling of these compounds. If they're still schedule one, <laughs> that's a huge uh, uh, you know, headache to get a schedule one, uh, uh, you know, permit. Um, Weren't they, they were trying to, to schedule like four um, research compounds recently. Um, and I know that they kind of reeled it back because I know Hamilton Morris was making a stink about it and a couple other people and they got them to kind of rethink it. Uh, did you hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was a number of, uh, you know, short acting tryptamines. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, those are, are pretty obscure drugs and, you know, the data that, you know, the DEA was using to put them in schedule um, one, you know, wasn't especially, uh, you know, thorough. Uh, you know, so they backtracked, uh, you know, but I think, you know, for, you know, very you know, popular compounds for which there's a lot of information uh, and they're still in schedule one, uh, I think it'll be a bit more of an uphill climb to reschedule them. Yeah, I know psilocybin's one of the 
safer ones on the LDI scale. Um, all right, I think it yeah, is the safest well, one from what I remember. Yeah. Um, w- yeah. Well, you know, physically, you know, psychedelics, you know, the classical, uh, you know, compounds are extremely safe. It's, you know, the psychological morbidity or, you know, adverse effects, which can, you know, be, uh, you know, troublesome. You know, that's, you know, one of the things which is overlooked when there's an argument being made that, you know, uh, you know, psychedelics are safe. You know, the LD50 is extremely high, those kinds of things. You know, but on the other hand, you know, you know, they can traumatize you. You know, they can trigger psychosis and depression and panic attacks and whatnot. You know, there could be accidents, you know, suicides, flashbacks, those kinds of things. You know, so that isn't, you know, taken into account when, uh, you know, people are describing, you know, the physical safety of the classical compounds, which is, uh, you know, quite good. Yeah. Um, you know, from a mental health standpoint, what do you think it is about them where, like, we're using them to help people that are either in psychosis or have mental health issues, but then it can also trigger that in some people? Like, that's a weird dichotomy, right? That something can either help people or push them into that exact state. Like, what do you think's going on there? Well, you know, it's a, a you know, question of, you know, set on um, setting and the dose. Uh, if you're especially, you know, fragile, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, your genetics or your drinking or your history of trauma, um, and you take a you know, big amount of a classical compound or any compound in unstable, unsafe, threatening environment, you're going to freak out, you know, chances are. Uh, and if you're, you know, prone to psychosis, it, you know, it you know, could be the last straw. Um, you know, but if you're, uh, if you're stable, uh, you know, healthy mentally and you know, physically, you've got a strong support system, uh, you're doing well in your life, you take a small dose and you take a hike in the woods, with a couple of close friends, um, you know, chances are it'll be a good day, you know, so, uh, you really need to, you know, clarify your intent, what drug you're going to take, uh, what kind of dose, you know, in a way it's, you know, like radiation. I'm, I mean, a small amount um, of radiation can be curative for certain kinds of cancers, let's say, you know, but, uh, a, you know, a, a, you know, large amount uh, you know, like an explosion, uh, you know, nuclear explosion, let's say, you know, is going to be dangerous, you know, so um, it's, you know, the proper dose and, uh, you know, set, you know, setting intention. Absolutely. And I want to give a shout out to our producer, Shane, who's uh, in Boston right now for Wounded Warrior. Um, and uh, our social media guy, uh, Chase, he says to say hi. Uh, and Toby, um, our co-host on our new podcast, the Roswell UFO Symposium. Shout out to all those wonderful gentlemen. Um, actually, Shane, I think, is considering doing this thing. Have you ever heard of this program? It's called Heroic Hearts, I think is the name of it, where they go yeah. down and they do ayahuasca. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think I've maybe spoken with them. I'm not sure. I, uh, You know, I have spoken to a, a couple of you know, veterans, you know, that are doing uh, you know, psychedelic, uh, you know, work you know, with, you know, their comrades with, uh, PTSD. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, work to be done with that. And, uh, you know, that's something we talk about a lot too, you know, the mental health stuff. Um, you know, I found that 
with talking with tons of people on like Twitter spaces and Twitter and, um, you know, different communities, whether it be the psychedelic community, um, you know, the uh, esoteric community or the UFO community, whatever it is, there's a lot of people that have trauma, PTSD, mental health stuff going on. I mean, I'm under the impression now personally, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but there is no such thing as like normal or um, somebody that's considered to have no mental issues whatsoever. Like, I think at very least we've all had uh, depression, right? So this idea of happiness and, you know, achieving this state of happiness and just being a normal person, I think is kind of a myth. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, it uh, kind of, you know, points, you know, to the notion that, you know, nobody is free of trauma. Uh, You know, even Freud, uh, you know, spoke about, you know, the, the, or one of Freud's, uh, students auto rank uh, you know spoke about you know the birth trauma you know everybody's got you know the trauma of you know, being born uh, you're floating around in amniotic fluid in the womb and boom you're in the bright lights uh, you know there's all you know kinds of noise and wind and breezes and things on your skin um, yeah and everybody's got you know problems um, I'm not sure if everybody's been depressed. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, goes through, you know, periods of, uh, you know, feeling sad, you know, feeling hopeless, per- perhaps even. But, you know, clinical depression, it, it's quite, you know, frequent. And, uh, you know, so is, you know, post-traumatic, you know, stress disorder. I think it's uh, a matter of degree, um, you know, when it becomes, uh, you know, something which interferes with your life or um, your well-being. Absolutely. You know, speaking, I'm a veteran. I'm consulting uh, with a group at UCLA now, you know, that's interested in uh, a study using repeated dosing of DMT to treat PTSD in veterans. Uh, and it's uh, going to be building off of uh, a study we did, which attempted to develop tolerance to uh, you know, closely spaced repeated dosing of you know, DMT over the course of a morning. And you don't develop tolerance. Like if you give a big dose, uh, you know, four times with, uh, you know, 30 minute intervals, you know, dose, uh, you know, four is as intense as the first dose. Um, and you can do, you know, psychotherapy uh, in between doses. Um, and it you know, seems to follow a interesting progression of, uh, you know, psychological work. Um you know, so even though, you know, most, uh, you know, people are thinking of MDMA for PTSD and even ketamine, there was a Yale paper came out a couple of months ago about, you know, treating, you know, uh, your PTSD with ketamine. Um, you know, but I think other compounds, other classical, uh, you know, compounds will start, you know, seeing some use as well. Awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you for doing that work, too. Like I said, there's a lot of people that need a lot of help out there. And, um, you know, as much as these things are fun or maybe when you're younger, it's interesting to uh, experiment with these things. I have the utmost reverence and respect for these compounds. And um, I, seeing what they've done for some people is just uh, amazing. So um, I want to kind of go through a couple of like, you know, your, your book, you kind of break down the different compounds and kind of go through it that way. What's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite species of mushroom? I know a lot of people are talking about the penis envy. Um, oh, that's yeah. been going around lately. That's the uh, uh, that's for me. Envy, that's yeah. been the most potent 
and creative. And uh, this question was asked by our buddy Chase. He wanted to know what your favorite strain was. And then also um, how much of, of, you know, do you think the variability from different species or strain uh, do you think affects that experience? Yeah, I just don't know, to be honest. Uh, I've not, uh, you know, looked into the potency of the different strains. You would imagine, you know, certain strains are stronger than others. And even then it would, you know, depend on, you know, their growth conditions, you know, the media, the humidity, temperature, things like that. Um, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, taking mushrooms on, you know, any kind of, you know, regular basis, it was just, you know, cubensis that my friends were growing in their basement. And uh, yeah, so... Um, you know, but my you know, favorite psychedelic, I suppose, would be psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, you know, it's, it's I'm a good length. Um, you can take a low dose, medium dose, or a big dose. Uh, yeah, and you could sidestep, you know, the nausea if you're, um, if you're prone to it. Have you ever done any of like uh, the sacred mushroom rituals with anybody, or like, because I know there's a different way of doing it where they eat live you know mushrooms um and they there's like an element of honey and cacao and things like that have you ever experienced anything like that and do you think that that has an impact on the experience oh yeah well uh well so personally i've i you know not uh you know done a mushroom ceremony you know per se you know like with you know singing and healing and things um you know, more recreational or I'm outdoors or with friends. Um, you can, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that I like about you know, mushrooms is you can make a tea and just, you know, drink as much mm-hmm. as you want over the course of the day. Um, uh, you know, titrate, you know, the level of intoxication, you know, to the uh, you know, circumstances. Yeah, the, the tea thing's interesting to me because I feel like, when I drink the tea, it comes on quicker and goes by faster. Uh, it's maybe more intense in certain spots, but it goes by quicker than when I like masticate the uh, stems and caps and, and do it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the reason you, uh, you keep your, you know, uh, your water bottle, you know, next to you, you can drink, you know, more or, you know, hold off, you know, uh, you know depending on what you're looking for. Interesting. Um, our friend Leah uh, wanted to know, what do you think of the interplanetary uh, or the, you know, the, the, the play between psychedelics and spiritual emergence? Uh, spiritual emergency? Yes. Well, um, you know, that in a way is a reframing of an adverse effect. Um, as opposed to it being a psychotic break or a panic attack uh, episode or things like that, you can you can reframe it as a spiritual emergency. Uh, you know, back in the day, um, you know, there was an anti-psychiatry uh, you know, movement which was quite strong actually, and is especially you know, focused on schizophrenia um, and uh, you know, psychosis. You know, one of the you know, promoters of that point of view, you know, was R.D. Lang. Uh, um, another, you know, fellow was, you know, Thomas Zaz, uh, John Perry. He, he, um, you know, they treated, you know, uh, schizophrenia as a spiritual disorder. 
and they believed that if you gave you know drugs to break or to stop a schizophrenic episode you were interfering with spiritual growth um and i think in a very 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 small number of people that's true um i'd say i don't know one percent um you know, I asked, I asked the question wrong, so I'm going to reframe that. I, she was asking the interplay between psychedelics and spiritual emergence. Um, you know, so like your book, um, you know, The Soul of Prophecy, I know that has to do with more of speculating on what was going on with oh, the prophets and oh, things I like see. that. But like, what's the, what do you think the connection is between spiritual emergence and psychedelics? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, spirituality or spiritual growth or spiritual or, or, or spiritual um evolution uh well you know it just depends on the uh you know the set and you know the setting and the drug and the dose uh if you're a spiritual person if spiritual questions uh you know occupy yourself if you read spiritual texts if you belong to a spiritual community uh if you practice uh you know know, spiritual techniques or you know methodologies you know, then your you know, trips uh, will most likely concern uh, you know spiritual things, spiritual feelings and thoughts, which will become uh, you know clearer, you know, hopefully you know more true, more convincing. You you become you know, more dedicated to your spiritual you know, practice. If if you you know think of yourself as a non-spiritual person, even as an atheist, let's say, and you have like what you would then after the fact, you know, call a spiritual experience on uh, you know, psychedelics. Um, I don't think it's a result of you know the drug making you think you know something new, but it just uncovers or un, or un. Uh, it, it it uncovers or uh, you know, sheds light on things which were you know more or uh, more or less conscious in the first place. And, you know, like you know, for example, if you're an atheist, you still may you know wish you know that there were a God, and you've got you know the slightest you know doubt. Well, you know maybe there is a God, or a, a more, or you hope you know that there is a God. You know, so, um, you know, so you trip, and you experience uh, you know, something which you consider to be God's presence or you know God's manifestation. You you can attribute that you know to the drug, you, you, but I think it's uh, you know more the case you know that instead of the drug you know uh, you know uh, you know being in theogenic you know generating uh, uh, you know God within you. It's um, psychedelic. It's you know, manifesting what's already in your mind, you, um, which was you know just you know dimly conscious. Uh, you know Stan Groff, uh, you know, likes to say that you know psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers of the unconscious. You know, but I think they're non-specific amplifiers of things which are more or less conscious. Uh, you know, so you may want to be ecologically minded, but you. Uh, um, you know, but you just uh, you know don't know how, and you trip, and you get you know some clarity. You know, so that is uh, material in your mind which is already conscious. Or the example of an atheist, 
uh, it's unconscious, your belief in God or your wish for there to be a God. And uh, you know, then it's you made more conscious, more real, uh, you know, more true than it was before. Yeah, interesting. Um, to stay on the uh, psilocybin and uh, mushroom thing before we move on, you know, for me, that's one that's, you know, psilocybin's my favorite compound I've experienced, you know, probably a few hundred times. Not any, I haven't done that much, you know, recently. Um, I'm kind of on psychedelic hiatus, but, um, you know, some of my best ideas, you know, sitting in darkness and meditating on it and then recording and writing things down within that. So you come out of it and some things don't make any sense, you know, but I still keep it around to ponder it to see if there's maybe something that comes back like a, an old dream or something like that. But then there's really great insights too. Um, and we were talking about the difference between psilocybin and LSD. Um, for me, LSD has just been way too heady. Um, you know, a lot of my experiences were when I was younger at like fish shows, but I have done it um, with, with a proper set and setting and kind of like how I've done psilocybin. And I still didn't really love it. I know people do love it. I know that's some of, you know, some people's favorite compound. It's just, it's too long. Um, for me, um, there real quick, there's a quick story when I was, uh, a long time ago when I was working at guitar center, in my early twenties, I took a hit, uh, probably like five or six o'clock, uh, the night before, and uh, had an experience all night and then had to go into work the next day at like 10 a.m. And when I got there, I walked into the guitar center and all the guitars kind of turned to one color and I started to have this kind of like melting feeling and I'm like, oh shit, I'm still I'm still in the grips of this thing. Um, so yeah, there's an element of that uh, that I think uh, I didn't like about it. Not that I don't like that experience, but I just think it's like too long, you know? So maybe I just... Maybe I would have been served better by like the microdosing aspect uh, of it, which you see a lot of people, Silicon Valley and artists and creative minds doing these days. But um, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you do you think that um, that's why some people, it seems like more people gravitate towards psilocybin. It's more relatable for, for most people. Yeah. Um, well, I th well, you were you know, talking about, you know, the duration of action of LSD and, you know, that's a drawback. You know, it, it, it can be, you know, 12 hours or even longer. Um, you know, there's an interesting metabolite of LSD, which only appears, you know, toward the end of, you know, one's experience at the eight hour point or so, um, you know, which is more, uh, it's, you know, more active, uh, um, you know, within the dopamine system. Uh, you know, the classical, uh, you know, compounds uh, are, you know, believed, you know, to exert their effects through activation of, uh, you know, serotonin receptors, you know, but there's a you know, breakdown, you know, product of LSD, which is more active at, you know, the dopamine system, you, you know, so that uncomfortable feeling, that kind of, you know, jangly, slightly, you know, paranoid state that lots of people get into, you know, toward the end of an LSD, uh, you know, session, uh, you know, could be the result of that uh, unusual metabolite. Uh, you know, smaller doses, you know, can be, uh, uh, you know, can be easier to negotiate as well. Uh, you know, microdosing is, you know, kind of a mixed, you know, bag right now. You know, the research is, uh, uh, well, well, the laboratory, you know, research is extremely meager uh, when it comes to microdosing. And, uh, 
you know, people don't even agree what microdosing is. Is it a completely inactive, you know, dose, uh, you, you know, where there isn't any subjective effect at all? Or mm-hmm. is it a small, as, you know, like a you know, small dose, you know, which is, you know, slightly stimulating, let's say, or a slightly higher dose, which, you know, puts a you know, sparkle on the room, you know, so you can, uh, you can call all three of those, you know, subs, uh, you know, psychedelic doses, micro doses, you know, but they do different things subjectively. And they, uh, you know, probably are, uh, you know, doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, different things, you know, pharmacologically as well. You know, the dosing regimen is uh, important too. Like, is it every day, once a week, once a month, every other day? Uh, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, the kinks have yet to be, uh, you know, worked out with the whole you know, microdosing story. Yeah, I, yeah I know... I've, I've had conversations with people about that before. They're like, oh, I'm not microdosing. I'm taking 0.5. I was like, I don't know if that's technically <laughs> microdosing, but... Yeah, guess, you were uh, you were microdosing, weren't you, Maurice, for a little bit? Yeah, in I mean, I was taking point one to point two, so I I consider microdosing taking an amount where you don't really notice any of the effects. As far as I mean, you might feel it almost feels like you just had a cup of coffee or something like that. But I would consider the other doses a light dose or a threshold dose. But that's again, that's kind of just where I'm coming from. Yeah, we've had uh, Adam Bramlage on, who um, he's doing a lot of work with microdosing, and I think the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. Um, but you know, he's he's good friends with and swears by all of James Fadiman's um, work and everything like that. So um, we were talking about that with him, and you know, when you say microdose, kind of like what you're saying, some people take it as in like oh, 0.5 or 0.75 or whatever, and then other people will think of it as like sub you know psychedelic threshold doses you know like maurice was doing like 0.1 or 0.2 or something like that so it is kind of a variable right when people say microdose it could be mean many different things Mm -hmm. yeah well even well you know even if you take you know super low doses you you know like you wouldn't be able you know to distinguish you know the effects you know from uh, salt water or uh, you know placebo pill you know if you you know, take, you know, that kind of you know, microdose every day, uh, you know, chances are it's exerting a, 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 a Prozac-like effect on your brain, you know, so even if, you know, there aren't any acute subjective effects, you don't, uh, you know, feel anything after you do it, you would think over time, like over the space of a couple of weeks or a month, you know, there'd be an improvement in your mood, uh, you may be creativity as well, if you were slightly depressed and not thinking as uh, you know, clearly as you might like. What about the, com- I know Maurice, I think, weren't you doing, it was like psilocybin and like, um, uh, lion's mane and reishi and all that kind of stuff too, or was it just psilocybin? Yeah, no, I actually, that, the stuff that I was, uh, directed by that Adam dude, um, again, I don't know all the legalities and everything, so I want to watch what I say, but, um, yeah, it was a common. I think it was like eight different types of mushrooms. One of them being psilocybin. So the, I think the whole the whole mixture was around 0.3, the weight of all the mushrooms combined. But yeah, obviously there's studies that show that lion's mane and different type of fungus can help uh, with like um, your attention and you know staying focused and all that stuff. Energy, you know. So 
I I liked what I was getting from him because it wasn't just oh take this little bit of take a piece of this cap or something. There was actually a a formula, a method to it all. So yeah, it was a combination. I can't remember exactly. I mean, we we should have him on the 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 show again. I I reached out and he was kind of busy, so maybe we, I can line that up and we'll get him back on. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that there's tons of beneficial things. Psilocybin being one of them, but obviously we know from all the legal mushrooms that there's other stuff that's good for the body. Yeah, that, well, you know, those are the kinds of questions that should be experimentally studied, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the combinations and, I mean, Paul Stamets does a great job of breaking down all the mushroom stuff, too, and the benefits. And, you know, like we're saying, you know, like even... You know, if, if you're listening and you don't want to take anything psychedelic, even the, you know, like lion's mane supposed to be super good for you. Uh, reishi, um, you know, there's a few different types. The one that I find interesting is the one Paul talks about, too, that grows in like the old growth forests of uh, Washington called agaricon. Uh, supposedly, like the Greeks knew about it from like the healing properties of it and stuff like that, too. So I'm interested to see, you know, some of the more studies done on that one as well. Yeah, well, so Paul's the man. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that's psilocybin. Uh, we, we did dabble in the uh, LSD thing a little bit. You know, the LSD thing from, because, from, you know, I've talked about it many times, obviously, my OCD and mental health issues. You know, I think that's why I didn't love the LSD was it was, an, it was a heady experience. Um, and I'm already in my head most of the time. Um, so I feel like that just, it didn't like amplify that aspect of it, but what it did do was, um, you know, when you get into a thought loop and, and OCD, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to break free of it, but then with the LSD aspect of it, like I said, you just kind of go down some paths and, you know, go through some things, obviously, you know, going, reliving trauma or things like that can be definitely therapeutic. Uh, but, um, knowing my own mind and stuff like that too, there's also some un- unpleasant uh, aspects of it too. So I do really think that there's something to our connections with these compounds. I think that it's like some people have just this, whether it's their physiology or their um, their their mind or whatever it is, we do have these connections to specific compounds. Um, aside yeah. from your work with DMT, do you have something like your 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 spirit? compound or your spirit uh uh animal of psychedelics um well um i do like mushrooms um you know if i were to trip um and i and i like ayahuasca too it just seems like especially healing uh you know physically uh you know quite uh you know profound physical healer um yeah, and it's a big trip. And uh, well, yeah, you know, most of the ayahuasca that I've uh, you know drunk was within the UDV, uh, one of the you know federally approved you know, uh, you know Brazilian churches uh, which use ayahuasca as a sacrament. You know, so that is uh, you know tripping in a specific container, uh, a large group of you know very nice people and very strong tea, uh, and a. a, a, a you know, specific protocol. I mean, you're under lights and you're sitting in, uh, you know, chairs. You know, you know, there's a, a you know, master of ceremonies up front, 
you know, that, uh, you know, provides, you know, sermons and answers questions and, uh, you know, manages the music and the silence. You know, so I got uh, quite a bit out of participating in those ayahuasca ceremonies. Uh, You know, I speak or, you know, feel quite highly um, about that, you know, set and setting. And the tea itself is, you know, fresh and uh, organic. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I mentioned this before. I don't, thinking about it, I don't know if I would ever be down to do a ceremony with other people just because, I don't know, maybe I'm just a weirdo. Um, but I feel like I'm always just more comfortable alone in darkness, like some sort of, uh, you know, that's solo intense, solo tripping. Cre- I just feel like that's, I learned most about myself. Um and, you know, there's probably something to be gained, too, from being around other people. But um, I feel like what I'm trying to achieve through the experience cannot be achieved with the interplay between other people because I'm not trying to understand other people from that sense. I'm trying to understand myself and, uh, you know, play off of my own ideas and philosophies and things like that, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, it's a completely different experience if you're in a group uh, because I mean, you're participating in everybody else's trip, uh, you know, so, you know, if it's a you know, cohesive group, um, it can uh, you know, power, you know, things in a you know, particular direction, you know, just like a meditation retreat, you know, but if it's a you know, chaotic group, you know, just a mess, uh, then, you know, it's bad news. Absolutely. Um, so we touched on psilocybin, we touched on LSD. What about um, MDMA? Um so like I know that that it's this one's kind of a little bit more dicey in terms of the physiological effects. It's not as physiological safe as uh, psilocybin um, or LSD, but um, there has been huge, huge um, steps to you know they've incorporated this into PTSD treatment, PTSD treatments for vets um, and things like that, and they have great success. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, most of your listeners, you know, probably, I don't know about MDMA. Yeah, it, it's a derivative of your methamphetamine. Um, you know, I uh, you know, consider it a you know, quasi-psychedelic. Um, you know, there isn't the ego fragmentation, you know, dissolution, you know, generally anyway, you know, with uh, your normal doses. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, more of a stimulant, uh, raises heart great blood pressure, um, makes you clench your jaws and your eyes go back and forth in nystagmus, um, you know, tremor, uh, elevated temperature. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, therapeutic window, so to speak, is a lot more narrow, you know, than is, you know, the case with the classical compounds. Um, in, in other words, you know, there isn't, you know, that much of a difference, you know, between an effective dose and, you know, too much. Um, and especially if you, you know, take, you know, more and more either over the course of a day or, you know, over the course of your life. Yeah. Um, and it works, um, you know, differently, you know, than the, uh, you, know, uh, you know, than the classical compounds, you know, like, you know, compounds like LSD, uh, you know, bind, you know, to receptors, you know, for serotonin and uh, MDMA, releases uh serotonin and uh you know dopamine you know uh, you know from nerve cells and you know that can be overdone and you and you can burn out you know those neurons if you 
are exposed, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, uh, to too high a dose or, uh, you know, more prolonged exposure over time. You know, so the neurotoxicity of MDMA is a real concern, which I think is going to limit its applicability. You know, if you're in a you know, protocol, you know, where you, uh, uh, you know, take MDMA in combination with, you know, psychotherapy, uh, like, you know, three times once a month, let's say, uh, I think you, you're okay. You know, it's a question of the risk, I, 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 you know, versus benefit as well. You know, if, if you've got an intractable case of PTSD, if you've, if, if you've you know, tried everything without success, if you're, uh, you know, really, you know, disabled as a result of your symptoms, you know, then, you know, the risk, uh, I think, is uh, you know, mitigated, you know, by the potential benefit. You know, but if you just, you know, want to trip and party and have fun or, you know, take a walk in the woods, I suppose, you know, uh, it would be okay to take MDMA maybe once or twice at a, you know, modest dose, but, uh, you know, and it can help introduce people, you know, to the psychedelic state if they're afraid of the you know full blown effect of a big dose of psilocybin or of LSD, you know that being said, uh, you can still you know, kind of you know deal with anxiety. I'm about a big uh, you know trip with uh, you know classical uh, uh, you know, compound by just starting off at smaller doses of LSD or of psilocybin. You know, rather than uh, you know, beginning with MDMA, and I think you know that the jury is you know definitely still out whether or not the uh, you know, classical you know, compounds, either at full doses or at you know, medium doses, aren't as effective as MDMA in PTSD. That's it, what I was wondering because um, I know that they went down the road with MDMA, but is there something specific about MDMA or could that neuroplasticity come from psilocybin or LST or DMT or whatever? It could, it could. Yeah. And it, and, you know, people, you know, have been kind of, you know, swept up in the MDMA enthusiasm and you haven't been, uh, you know, looking at other compounds. You know, that's, um, you know, why this, proposed study at UCLA is going to be, uh, you know, so important, you know, because, um, you know, they'll be giving you know, DMT and administering psychotherapy, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to veterans who've got you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it you know, may turn out to be um, as effective or ineffective or equally effective to MDMA. Um, I think, you know, the you know, toxicity of MDMA really needs to be considered when uh, you're, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, widespread accessibility. You'd have yeah, to I mean, I would be very concerned know. about the MDMA because of the, the, what it does and how it releases endorphins and things of that nature. I just would be uh, worried about the uh, the after effects of doing that to someone that has depression. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, though, too, is... Um... I don't think I think you said it's like semi psychedelic and I would agree with that. Um I I kind of relate it to ketamine, not that they're similar cuz ketamine's a disassociative, but in the sense that they're not fully like tryptamine, obviously they're not tryptamines, but 
they're not doing the same kind of things that traditional psychedelics would do. Um, but then, you know, more, I'll just say Maurice and I, uh, the last time I took it, we were at a fish show, um, and I ate 200 milligrams and so did Maurice, which is a lot. The old Um, jellyfish incident. Yeah. And when I got home, I was still, when I got home, I was still like really, 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 um, high and I was laying in bed and these sentient jellyfish were floating around me, um, kind of giving me these like messages and stuff like that. It was very bizarre. It was probably the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre psychedelic experiences I've ever had. And I have done another entity experience I had was on MDMA and psilocybin um, and stuff like that. So I have had other weird experiences, but that jellyfish one, the dosage, I was just, un- I was I was under the, the grips of this thing for hours and hours and hours. Um, and I, I'm probably not going to do it again, but it was definitely a, a, an interesting experience. Yeah. So what were they telling you? The jellyfish? Uh, it was like ancient knowledge type stuff. It was bizarre. Um, uh, just stuff that I've like experienced in meditation and with all these things, I, I try and take it, um, with a grain of salt to like, is this my own subconscious and mind, or is this something external trying to give me a message this is something i ponder regularly i don't know um and i'm open yeah, it's to like both. you have all the knowledge and then when you come out of it you, you don't remember it well I, this one i i do remember a few things um just you know i'm not going to go maybe i'll we'll talk about it in the future i don't want to go too deep into it um but yeah very bizarre um and i've never had that other than the the What's it called? Is it hippie flipping or is it candy flipping with the it's candy the flipping thing. LSD and MDMA? No, no, no it's uh, MDMA and psilocybin. Is that hippie oh, flipping? I guess you could call that candy flipping. I mean, or you're psilocybin or flipping or. Yeah. If anybody knows, <laughs> now please, we're getting now we're splitting hairs here. Yeah, please yeah, comment yeah. below if you have the answers. I uh, call any, it a good yeah. time. Anyway, so I'll so that you want, that <laughs> I that I did have uh, an experience with, um, but other than that, my other. MDMA experiences, you know, they were probably 100 milligrams, maybe 50 milligrams, things like that, um, were more normal. So I don't know if it was the dosage that did it or um, if I were opened some sort of portal in my mind. I don't know what was going on, but it was very bizarre. Yeah, or it may have been spiked with you know something, or you may have just. I that, I was careful though. I did test it actually. Um, okay. You don't yeah. want to you don't want to fuck around with powders these days. Um, uh, no, no. There's a lot of bad powders out there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, interesting stuff nonetheless. Um, so what I want to do here now um, is I want to ask a few questions. We are going to do a Patreon segment with Rick after we're done here, where I have a bunch of more questions from other people. Uh, but I wanted to get a, to a couple questions because I don't know if these people are Patreon members. So uh, from Twitter, uh, Terrence McKenna's dad, that's the Twitter uh, handle, um, said, uh, <laughs> dad, <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like Mr. to know. McKenna. Yeah, he, he name, wants to good name. He wants to know about what's going on with the extended stay um, DMT stuff. Uh, has there been any uh, advancements or updates on that? And. Um, what's the difference between the DMTX and ayahuasca? Um, um, and also, yeah, so, I mean, like, those two things. Like, what is there any updates on DMTX, and is there any difference between DMTX and ayahuasca? Yeah. Um, 
Well, because uh, you don't develop tolerance to repeated dosing of DMT, um, I suggested at the end of the DMT book, The Spirit Molecule, that if you want to spend more time in the DMT state, you know, for whatever reason, you could develop an infusion protocol, uh, you know, where it's a you know, continuous drip, you know, more or less. Um, and Andrew Gallimore and I you know, co-authored a paper a few years back, um, you know, discussing that at greater length. And Andrew did some, you know, pharmacological, uh, you know, modeling about, you know, the beginning dose and uh, uh, infusion rate after, you know, the loading dose, you know, so to speak. Um, and the group at Imperial College in London, uh, you know, just completed a study, I think in 12 or 13 people, you know, where they, you know, continuously infused DMT for a half hour. Um, and I spoke with, with um, you know, one of the volunteers and, you know, he described it as a, a very pure ayahuasca experience. Um, you know, the same, uh, you know, DMT, you know, like effects you know, without, uh, you know, the physicality of, uh, you know, which uh, is, you know, part of uh, the ayahuasca experience. Um, you know, so they were giving, you know, psychedelic doses uh, of, you know, DMT in, you know, that infusion study. Um, I'm consulting with a group in Canada, which is called Algernon, and, you know, they're interested in small, small doses of DMT to treat stroke and to speed recovery from stroke. And they're, you know, working on a you know, protocol to infuse, you know, sub-psychedelic doses of DMT over the space of six hours um, in, you know, normal volunteers at first. And then once that's worked out to start to, uh, uh, you know, see if it can help in, you know, reducing stroke size and speeding up recovery. I think there might be a German study uh, with a continuous infusion. I've just heard, you know, rumors. Um, I haven't heard or, you know, seen any data uh, uh, you know, from the German group yet. Yeah, interesting. I know, um, yeah, the goal is to, like, map these spaces out and see if, you know, if these entities are actually giving some sort of information, you know, because I know you know, from people that have talked about this specifically from your books and your documentary and stuff like that, um, that, you know, it seems like it's just not long enough or, you know, or do you think that it's an element of like what happens in our dreams where maybe it's vivid or um, you can remember it for the first like 15, 20 minutes when you wake up, but then you start to lose it. You know, it's like a fleeting thought at that point. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, you need, to record it as quickly as you can as you come out of it, especially if you just, uh, you know, if you just uh, smoke it one time or inject it one time. Yeah, you know, the memory fades quite quickly. You know, that's, you know, uh, uh, you know that was, uh, you know, one of the, you know, boons of our study, you know, giving DMT is, you know, you know, like, you know, like I was just, you know, sitting by the bedside and, uh, you know, volunteers would open up their eyes and, you know, start talking and I would start, you know, taking notes and asking questions, um, you know, so they were able to remember things, you know, clearly and I could, you know, jog their memory about certain things, you know, based on other stories I I, mean, I heard from other volunteers. Um, yeah, and, and I think if you're in that state for a longer period of time, um, you wouldn't be, you know, quite as... Uh, uh, startled or you know rattled or you know disoriented as you're going in and then uh, you know, coming out it would be more leisurely 
uh, you can map out the state, I think, more you know, carefully in that extended state uh, protocol. You could also do uh, you know, psychotherapy uh, using that model as well. Um, you could lower the infusion rate if you didn't want your patient to be too high, or you could even stop the infusion and they'd be completely normal in you know, five or 10 minutes and you could talk. Uh, if you know they want to really go for it, you could uh, you know, give them a, or you can speed the infusion rate up you know, for a, a, a prearranged amount of time and then come down and uh, you know, talk about it. So I think uh, it would you know, provide a unique psychotherapeutic tool as well. Um, you know, when we were doing our studies and the, and, you know, the tolerance, you know, data came out that, you know, people, you know, were not, uh, you know, tolerant or, you know, developing tolerance. Um, I wrote to NASA, you know, this was in the early 90s, and I said, you know, your astronauts are going to be, you know, pretty bored on the way to Mars. You know, maybe you could just, you know, keep them at DMT state for a few years. And obviously, I've never heard back from them. <laughs> Yeah, but that idea, I think, is uh, you know gaining some currency again. I yeah. was you know seeing some uh, you know news articles or opinion pieces saying, oh, you know, outer space travel, uh, astronauts are uh, are uh, you're going to need you know something to do, or the neuroplasticity you know will be beneficial. Uh, well, that's what all the movies, right? They're all they all go into a hyper uh, your uh, um, which we call it a. Uh, they get cryogenically frozen and then thawed, or they become, uh, you know, sedated, kind of like what you're talking about. So, like in all the sci-fi movies, it's, they're already doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's you know, just an extension of, uh, uh, you know, literature into uh, your reality. Yeah, actually, uh, Spooky just commented and said, Can- uh, "Candy flipping is LSD and MDMA, and hippie flipping is MDMA and psilocybin." So, I guess it was hippie, oh, hippie flipping. flipping. Okay, thanks. Um, thank you, Spooky. Um, so, uh, yeah, one more question before we wrap it up. This actually comes from Dr. Michael Masters, who's a biological anthropologist from Montana Tech. He's in our documentary, which I, I it's no secret. Rick Strassman's in our documentary as well, along with Andrew Gallimore and a lot of amazing thinkers on this topic, uh, which we are going into editing mode now, which Maurice will be fully immersed in that. He will be doing less episodes on Mindscape. But we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but Dr. Michael Masters wanted to know, he was reading your book, and he said in chapter, I think he was talking about spirit molecule, chapters 14 and 15, uh, you talk about a couple DMT subjects who encountered beings and entities who said something like, this is your future, there are many levels of humans, etc. cetera. Um, he, he wants to know, because he's an author, um, as well as an academic, and he's written a couple books. His first book was Identified Flying Objects, where he goes through the temporal aspect of it and thinks that the flying saucers are time machines and the gray archetype is us from the future. Um, he just recently uh, wrote a new book called The Extra Tempestrial Model as well, where he kind of goes through um, all the variations of that as well. Uh, but he wants to know that... Um, Let's see here. If there's an overlap between like abductions and DMT trips, um, maybe the very distant future, um, humans, you know, evolve a timeless consciousness where they're able to interact with uh, us in this ethereal realm, um, and that maybe our minds um, 
or minds that are open or have left the body to some extent um, during a DMT experience are, inter- are able to interact. Um, what do you think about that? Um, well, there is a you know, striking uh, you know, similarity between a lot of you know, features of you know, the abduction experience and of you know, the DMT state. You know, there's this inner pressure. You know, there's a you know, sound. You, you, uh, you know, burst into this like completely different space. Uh, you know, you know, there are intelligent beings that interact with you. Um, you know, so, you know, you know, but, uh, you know, there, you know, clearly are, are no stigmata or implants or things like that. Um, uh, you know, Whitley Stryber and I, uh, you know, did an interview, uh, you know, very early on after the Spirit Molecule book came out, you know, 2001, I think. And, you know, Whitley wrote the book Communion, which was, you know, like a, a you know, classic uh, um, abduction um, book. And, um, you know, we batted around the idea of, you know, physical encounters, uh, in which case, you know, there's stigmata and implants and things. And I didn't I have much of an opinion about, you know, how, you know, those work one way or the other, you know, but then in the course of our discussion, we were talking about, you know, consciousness, uh, you know, to consciousness abductions or encounters. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a viable um, hypothesis, I think, you know, that, uh, you know, DMT, uh, either, uh, I'm administered or elevated, uh, you know, naturally in the brain, uh, you know, could, uh, you know, change the receiving characteristics of the mind brain complex in order, or, um, you know, to allow us, you know, to make, uh, uh, you know, contact with different levels of reality, you know, dark matter, uh, in particular, you know, those are qu- quite, you know, difficult studies to do. Uh, they may take a few, I, a hundred years to uh, you know, put into effect, but but still, if we um, make it that far, if if we do make it that far, yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, it it you know, could be you know that uh, you know there are you know things out there that we don't you know, normally perceive, and when the you know, perceiving you know attributes of the mind brain uh, you know, complex are altered, you you know then. Uh, you know, perceive them and like a microscope or or like a telescope you know, you know those things are always there you know but you need uh, you know some tech uh, you know, some technology in um, in order you know to uh, you know to see them yeah I mean I've never I've had mystical experiences UFO experiences orb experiences entity experiences but I've never been abducted and um, you know, one thing I can say, though, from interviewing tons of people, um, that there is some, like you said, crossover. One interesting thing I mentioned, and we we have a clip of this on our um, our channel from when we had Dick Kahn on, who is the author of DMT and uh, my occult or the occult mind, um, where he is going. You know, I don't know if you're familiar, but he was like featured on Vice. He smoked like DMT like 300 times uh in a couple years or something like that and recorded it kind of like in a even though he's not a scientist in like a scientific manner um still pretty level-headed i've met space cadets that have done far less um so um shout out to dick wherever you are but um you know the one interesting thing is we have a clip from when we're interviewing him and he's describing this um 
one DMT experience where these beings are like operating on his mind and like doing different things. And, um, you know, there's like a level of, it definitely felt like he was describing a abduction experience from having talked with a lot of people on, um, that UFO and, um, alien subject as well. So I think there is some sort of cross crossover there. I don't know what that would be. Maybe that's the mechanism for how these things interact, or maybe, um, it's our subconscious projecting future things and events. I don't know, but I just thought that that was a great question by Dr. Michael Masters, because I do think that there is some connection there. Yeah. Yeah, there could be, uh, you know, um, the approach that I've been taking when discussing if these things that we're interacting with are, uh, you know, within us or, or, or external to us, I like to kind of use the more generic term of, you know, previously invisible. Uh, and, you know, that covers all the bases. It, it, it could be unconscious, you know, subconscious material, or it could be, you know, things that, it, you know, that exist in, uh, you know, the outside world, you know, that we now can perceive. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think that there's just so much that we don't um, understand. And actually a great book that kind of breaks that down uh, is John Keel's Operation Trojan Horse, where he goes through and kind of just explains like our perceptions and things around us and the different um, wavelengths and, and rays and different things like that. So even though you know, there's woo in there. I think that there's a lot of good information too when you're perceiving the mystical and the metaphysical um, things as well. Um, but uh, before we get out of here, Maurice, do you have any other questions? Oh man, I, uh, again, it's always a nice educational uh, opportunity here, and I've learned a lot, and I really enjoy having you on, Rick, and uh, we appreciate your time. Well, thanks. Yeah, I always like to. I, spend time with you guys too yeah and uh if you're interested actually the part two or the last episode we did with rick um rick and maurice were going back and forth with film and we got probably our best uh feedback on you guys talking about movies so maybe we'll have you on in the future and you guys can just chop it up on films and movies and stuff like that absolutely yes well i'm currently going through squid game that's pretty intense yeah that, <laughs> i haven't i haven't seen that one yet oh you got to check that out more <laughs> i uh i kind of predicted it um but i'm not going to spoil it for anybody no spoilers yeah yeah it's it's you know quite emotional mm, absolutely yeah. nice yeah. I'm pumped up. yeah and i just you know, finished watching the haunting of hill house which was great until the finale. It was a dead finale. Yeah, my I don't remember we... the finale, but I do remember there is some creepy moments. I like that one too. My yeah. wife made me watch that. I didn't really love that. I wasn't yeah. against yeah, it. It just wasn't. There. Yeah, there is a lot That's of great stuff. You were afraid of the man in the hat. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's actually, that's a very common archetype for people. I know. That that's have... why that's why the, the writing is pretty good. There's like real things that are intertwined. I, I, I don't remember what the finale was, so maybe I blocked yeah, out I, the, the, the bad parts, I guess. Yeah, well, it, it turns into a friendly house. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it weird. does. Yeah. Yeah, oh, but if uh, yeah, speaking ahead. of you know, DMT in the media, uh, you know there was a uh, you know, series you know, by Mike Flanagan as well, which is called Midnight Mass, and uh, we've you know, seen. There's, 
yeah, you know, there's, you know, some you know, discussion between a couple of them main characters about what happens after you die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they start talking about DMT. Yeah. To death it. You know, right yeah. on. I liked I liked that Maurice didn't love it so much, it was, but I lo- it was decent. It's the same people that did the hounding the whole house. Yeah, the thing. the guy you're talking about, I think, is the guy from the main guy from Friday Night Lights, the show. Um, the it's quarterback really guy. A turn. He uh, yeah, he he breaks down. Yeah, he, <laughs> I I was shocked when I was watching it because I you know I didn't even hear about the DMT thing when I started watching, it, and then I like this guy's talking about DMT and dying. This is yeah, crazy. it was news to me. I I was startled. Yeah. As that, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah and it's, I, I like it. I think it's a great, um, it's a great series to break down something that seems like it should be obvious, but it's not obvious. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like even though I kind of knew what's going on, I'm sure you did too. There was elements of it where it's like, I didn't think about that phenomenon in this way, but I kind of do now, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, concentrations of DMT go up in the dying brain, especially in the visual cortex, you know, so, you know, that's pretty strong evidence, you know, for, uh, you know, for, uh, um, you know, DMT, at least, uh, you know, playing you know, some uh, role, role in, the, yeah. in mm. the, you know, phenomenology of the near-death state. Absolutely. So, yeah, if you're interested, the first episode we did with Rick was very scientific based mechanical i thought it was a great interview the first one we did but very mechanical scientific second one very loose metaphysical film talk great episode i thought this was a great episode too and if anybody's interested and you should be interested please go check out rick's new book the psychedelic handbook um i think it's like a great yeah there you go it's a great guide. Um, if you're an experienced psychonaut, you know, there might be not a ton of new stuff, but, you know, even me who knows a ton about a lot of this stuff, I still learned a bunch of stuff. So uh, go check it out. And uh, if, you, if you're looking to get somebody into this or somebody is interested or they have mental health issues and they want to read up on it or whatever, I think this is a perfect guide. So I think that you should recommend that to people that aren't as experienced and people that are trying to get into it or want to learn more about it. Uh, I think that that's this book's really going to speak to them, and I think they'll come away with uh, being more comfortable about the topic. So I think that this book is was really needed um, because I don't really see anything else that's like that out there. So, um, so go check that out. I have the link down below. Check out Rick's website if you want to interact with him. He's pretty active on Facebook, and I've been talking with him. We're going to try and get him more active on Twitter and a couple other things. So uh, hopefully, look for that in the future and. Uh, yeah, if you want to support Mind Escape, um, you know, follow us on all social media stuff. I have the link tree link down below. Uh, we've got a Patreon. We're about to do a Patreon segment with Rick. And we've got one from his previous episode uh, that he was on as well. Um, and, yeah, good way to support the show is just to leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, um, Rick, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you contributing to our documentary. And, you uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, you're you, not only are you the godfather of DMT experiments, but you're also a great ambassador for this topic because you kind of look at it from all angles and you're, you don't really have like an agenda one way or another, which I really appreciate. So, oh, well, thanks. Nice to hear. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, as we wrap up, the one thing we always say is I love everybody and stay safe out there. Peace. Peace.